0: We are ready now to consider the yama and niyama, abstinence and observances, in depth. Because it's very easy to say such a thing as, well, ahimsa means to kill somebody. I don't kill anybody, so I practice ahimsa. But in his commentary on the Yoga Sutras, Vyasa says this. Ahimsa means in no way and at no time to do injury to any living being. Shankara, in his commentary on Vyasa's commentary, puts even a firmer ground, a sharper point to the pencil on this, saying, in no capacity and in no fashion, to give injury to any being, that that is ahimsa. And then he says, since he's used the word capacity, he says, ahimsa is to be practiced in every capacity, body, speech, and mind. Now, even a simple understanding of the law of karma enables us to realize the terrible consequences of murder for the one who commits the murder. But let's look at at Vyasa's statements about Ahimsa because it can help us to understand other forms of Ahimsa. Here's what Vyasa says. The killer deprives the victim of spirit, hurts him with a blow of a weapon, and then tears him away from life. Because he has deprived another of spirit, the supports of his own life, animate or inanimate, become weakened. In other words, he begins, in a sense, to kill himself because he begins to deplete his own life force. Vyasa continues, because he has caused pain, he experiences pain himself. Because retribution as pain has to work itself out. And that's his conclusion. So we mean any injury we do will come back to us in the form of the very like type of pain. So we're really killing ourselves, hurting ourselves, lying about ourselves, making ourselves feel um worthless or whatever way we attack a person, then that is going to come absolutely right back to us. Just the way a person who lies about people will in this or future life be lied about by others. So ahimsa is not willfully causing any harm or pain whatsoever to any being whatsoever in any degree whatsoever. It's strict abstinence from any form of injury in act, speech, or thought. Therefore, we must be very careful. Sometimes we speak harshly to someone and we say, oh, they deserved it, or, oh, they asked for it, or, well, they needed to be set straight. But according to Patanjali, this doesn't work. Absolutely not. If we have a positive motive and a positive interest and attitude toward the person, it will manifest in a positive way. Even if it is simply going away from that person and praying for them intensely and sending them vibrations of peace and healing. Then Vyasa tells us something really, really interesting in relation to Ahimsa. He says... The other yamas and niyamas are rooted in this, that is, in Ahimsa. He continues, and they are practiced only to bring this to its culmination, only for perfecting this. They are taught only as a means to bring this, again, Ahimsa, out in its purity. For it is said... Whatever many vows the man of God would undertake, only insofar as he thereby refrains from doing harm impelled by delusion does he bring out Ahimsa in its purity. Shankar then explains that Vyasa is referring to delusion that in his words are as rooted in violence and causing violence. Ahimsa will also... Ensure that we will be careful about what we say and do, that we won't use an excuse. Oh, I didn't mean for them to be hurt. I didn't mean uh, for them, or I didn't realize they'd be so sensitive. We have to be sensitive. And therefore, guard ourselves from committing injury and others from experiencing injury. In Autobiography of Yogi, Parahansa Yogananda tells about how his guru, the great jnani and profound scholar and philosopher, Swami Sri Yukteswar Giri, told him that ahimsa is absence of the desire to injure, because sometimes there is an accidental thing. We could um, accidentally knock over a stack of something and we'll fall over and hit someone, and injure them. In that case, uh, we're not at all guilty of of, uh, violating the principle of Ahimsa. So, Taimni, the modern commentator on the Yoga Sutras, says, Ahimsa really denotes an attitude and mode of behavior toward all living creatures blessed on the recognition of the underlying unity of life. And this is extremely important, that all living beings, all, even beings we might think are not sentient, such as plants, are protected by us, fostered by us. And we protect them from injury in any form, and we do no injury to them in any form. I've seen people that consider themselves vowed to nonviolence, that were strictly vegetarian walking on a sidewalk after rain, and all of these earthworms had come out and were crawling on the sidewalk, and they just squashed them right and left with every single step and didn't even think about it. And then the yogis I was with were doing everything in the world to keep from stepping on them. Shankara even explains that um the ability the ability to do injury becomes impossible to the perfected yogi his words actually are this the cause of one's doing harm becomes inoperative ego ignorance violence and so on it should be obvious then that the observance of ahimsa means that there will be no eating of animal flesh in any form or degree and also the non-use of anything whatsoever that is derived from the slaughter or the death of animals. The highest Ahimsa also will be that of the yogi who then does nothing in thought, word or deed that harms his body, mind or spirit. So often, we have to realize we've got to practice ahimsa in relation to our own self. Therefore, to omit, to neglect, to ignore the things which do benefit our body, mind, and spirit is also a form of self-injury. So, it's no simple thing to be a yogi. The next on Patanjali's list is Satya, which is both truthfulness and honesty. Vyasa says, Satya is speech and thought in conformity with what has been seen or inferred or heard on authority. The speech spoken to convey one's own experience to others should be not deceitful, nor inaccurate, nor uninformative. It is that uttered for helping all beings, but that uttered to the harm of beings, even if it is what is called truth, when the ultimate aim is merely to injure beings, would not be truth, it would be a wrong. So here we see the connection with Ahimsa. We also see that utterly trivial speech, empty speech, simple babble speech, is also a violation of truthfulness because it doesn't just mean do not lie, it also means do not say anything empty, worthless, without substance, where, which therefore is asat, unreal. Regarding lying, Timney says this, which is very interesting. Untruthfulness in any form puts us out of harmony with the fundamental law of truth and creates a kind of mental and emotional strain which prevents us from harmonizing and tranquilizing our mind. Truth has to be practiced by the sadhaka because it is absolutely necessary for the unfoldment of intuition. It's very interesting, isn't it? In other words, truthfulness enables us to develop intuition automatically. Then, Timney continues, there is nothing which clouds the intuition and stops its functioning as much as untruthfulness in all its forms. We also see from what he says how it is that a lie detector can work. That when we speak a lie, a stress comes into the body an emotional strain, as Timney says, and it is registered then on the sensitive equipment that is the lie detector. So again, here we are harming ourselves only through the practice of non-truthfulness. Bending the truth, either in leaving out part of the truth or in stacking the deck to create a false impression, cannot be engaged in by the yogi either. Equally shameless and shameful is the intentional mixing of lies and truth so the lies will seem plausible. There are some liars that tell a lot of truth. This is particularly true, I'm sad to say, in the manipulative endeavors of advertising, politics, and religion. Also, refusing to speak the truth, as well as avoiding speaking or facing the truth, is a form of untruth. Now, I would like to talk about a sad example. Actually, I have known two people that did not lie, but it caused them tremendous stress and pain to speak the truth. Their minds had been so polarized negatively. I really mean this. Uh, You may know some people like that. They don't tell a lie, but they just don't tell the truth. Or let's say you say to them, uh, did you see your friend yesterday? And they won't say, yes, I did, or no, I didn't. They'll say, well, uh, yesterday morning I got up And uh, this it happened to me, and somebody called me, and I was a little late in leaving. And they'll give you a five-minute, or maybe more, story, which then conveys the idea, no, they did, or yes, they did see, you know, no, they didn't, sorry, or yes, they did see the person. I mean, I knew one person who used to drive me to distraction, I have to admit to you, because he could never say yes and no. He always had to delay the truth as much as possible. I knew two people like this, and I want to tell you how they died. And this is not meant to scare anybody, and certainly not to accuse them. I'm sure they're in higher worlds now, and things will be better for them in the future. All right. The first one seemed to have nothing wrong with him. Then he felt very ill. A doctor was consulted. The doctor said, I think you have flu. He gave the medicine, which of course was not the cure for what was wrong with the man, but the man's symptoms went away. His body hid the symptoms, and then one day in the dead of the night, he died of a brain hemorrhage, something that was actually a genetic thing. That had been waiting, apparently, according to a specialist who talked to us, uh, had been waiting from his birth to go off at any moment. The other one was even more dramatic and even more obvious. You couldn't get him to say anything. I used to think if at noontime I ask him if it's daylight, how long will it take him to shuffle, grunt, groan, sigh, and then finally admit? obliquely, that it's daytime. I'm not exaggerating. All right, this is what happened to him. He became very ill, went to a very excellent hospital that had extremely competent doctors. In fact, I knew one of the doctors that even was called in on a consultation. Uh... They were just pulling their hair out. They couldn't figure what was wrong with him. Their main symptom was that he slept all the time, something that he had been in the habit of doing during meditation for years, and they couldn't rouse him, or else he'd say, leave me alone, and that would be it. So a friend of mine hearing about an even better medical center in a really distant town hired out of his own pocket an ambulance and went along in the ambulance and they rushed this man to the capital city, which was about three or four hours away. So when they got there, he was taken to a hospital that uh, was unable to admit him. And as he was waiting in the, in the ambulance, he was lying there unconscious. He turned brilliant yellow, which, of course, means liver trouble. He was rushed to another hospital, and just as they arrived, he left his body. It was asked that some type of autopsy would be done. His family wanted it done. And it was done. And they found that, yes, it was a severe liver ailment, but one that immediately upon its inception made you get bright yellow. And this man had obviously had it for some weeks, and his body hid it. You follow me? In other words, his mind and his mouth lied because he also would lie. In fact, he'd become quite an astounding liar. And, um, oh, his body lied. It held back. It wouldn't tell the truth. And they were very frustrated in the first hospital because they could actually have easily cured him. Now, this is truly an extreme example of the chickens coming home to roost. So we have to be careful that that we live truth. There's a lot of ways without words that you lie. There are some people whose whole life is a lie. Therefore, we have to be sure that truth is actually made obvious, that it's, it's seen and heard in our actions, our words. We must not just speak the truth, we must live it. Honesty in all of our dealings and speaking with others is an essential part of satya. And it's absolutely crucial that the yogi should make his livelihood only by honest and truthful means. Selling useless or silly things, convincing people that they need them or even selling them without convincing them, is a serious breach of truthfulness. Also, willingness to compromise the truth even a little bit making the excuse that everybody does it is not legitimate because everybody is bound to the wheel of birth and death because they do that compromise. And that's not what we want for ourselves. And of course, it's so we can lie to ourselves, to others, and even to God. But we can't lie to the cosmos. Karma, the law of cause and effect, will react upon us and reveal the ultimate truth. As I've said, we must never injure another by putting on a mask of I'm honest and I'm a straightforward person and I believe in speaking the truth. I knew an individual who boasted of the fact that she would occasionally write what she called get straight letters to people she knew because it was her duty to uh, uh, pull them up short, I guess, and uh, inform them about their ways. So we do need to be careful how we speak. But we have to remember there are extremely negative people who just hate the truth in any form and will accuse us of hurting them if we're just simply honest. And again, by honest, I don't mean blunt and crude. People like that like to label any truth, even talk about, say, the law of karma, for example. It doesn't have to be about them personally just a truth principle, they will fuss about that and talk about how terrible it is to be dogmatic. They love to call things they don't like harsh, rigid, oh, divisive especially, negative, hateful, and so on. Though all the while they're doing this, their whole demeanor and their whole manner of speaking is filled with negativity, and hate. There are a lot of people who think they're virtuous because they hate sin. And they will even say, hate sin, but not the sinner. But then you'll see that uh, it's the sinner that they complain about, not the sin. Since Vyasa has said that truth is that uttered for helping all beings, then when we do tell the truth, and people say we've hurt or offended them, uh, we're not responsible. We don't have to blame ourselves and think that we have somehow violated this law. No, they're making a false accusation because ahimsa is not a passive quality, but the positive character also of restoration and healing. And when that is our intention and we are careful in the way we express it, We have done no wrong. Silence also can be a form of untruth, especially in dealing with these people I've just said that are truth haters. But if some people put themselves in the way of truth, then they have to take responsibility themselves for their negative reactions to it. The American humorist Will Cuppy define diplomacy as the fine art of lying. And it often is, unfortunately. So we also have to be sure that we don't deceive under the guise of diplomacy or tactfulness. Again, as I've said, it is not easy to be a yogi, is it? But what else is worthwhile in this world? Nothing. Shankara says, Therefore, let one take care that his speech is for the welfare of all. And that means for the welfare of us too. We have to ruthlessly eliminate self-deception. Maybe we even as children got into the habit of making excuse for ourselves and turning things around. I knew a man, a great genius, who was in his 90s. And he had always justified himself all his life. And people who knew him well said that sometimes he'd sit up all night working out how he would prove that other people were responsible, that responsible—that other people had done wrong, but he had not done wrong. In fact, I saw it one time where something had come up and, and this man told me, he said, "Now I've known him for years and he's not going to sleep tonight because he doesn't like what was said and done by that other person. And in the morning, he's going to have his whole case ready. And by the way, the man had been a very brilliant attorney. And the next day, absolutely, that was the way it was. So we can harm ourselves in many ways by avoiding the truth. And let me not take up any more of your time so we can stop here. We have certainly considered truth quite a bit. And then we'll come to the third step in Patanjali's divine ladder to reach the worthiness, the state, condition, the possibility of success in yoga.